your Bibles to Colossians. I gotta say, this passage has me so jazzed up that I really had to work hard in what not to say because I wanted to just keep going. I'm serious. You'll see once we read it why it's like there's a two-hour sermon in that. Don't get nervous. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to stick to like one forty hour 45 at the most. Go to Colossians. Colossians 1. And we're going to be looking at verses 15, hopefully to 20. So as I often like to say when we approach a passage like this, I'm obviously not going to care, uh, cover every single word in line. Don't write me letters. Don't email me. I know. Um, but I hopefully I want to get at the gist and uh, not miss the forest for the trees. What is Paul talking about? Why is he bringing this up now at this point in his, in his letter? So verses 15 to 20. Even though it sticks together all the way up to verse 23, we're going to kind of do, uh, do it in two parts. Next week we'll start in verse 21. So let's stand together for the reading of God's holy and errant word. Hear the very word of God to you this morning. Speaking of the Son, that was just mentioned, the Son of God mentioned in verse 13 and 14, Paul says this. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. That sends the reading of God's holy and errant word. May he bless it to our hearts and lives this very morning. You may be seated. And Sean, if you can hit the uh, PowerPoint. All right, and then as I go to the points, thank you. Trying a new thing now, I'm doing PowerPoint, which I finally got into the, I don't know, 2000s, 90s, whatever it is. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm, I'm just saying. That's right. All right, so, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, once we have received Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we don't have to be walking with him long before we realize that the Christian life isn't easy. We still face disappointments. We still have a struggle with the flesh, with sin. We still deal with trials of all kinds and all kinds of difficulties. And here's the issue. We become vulnerable to spiritual counterfeits who promise us freedom from the ordinary struggles that Christians face. That they may promise us fullness of knowledge or depth of insight or maybe some kind of higher spiritual life. 
that we're missing as ordinary believers. And I bring this up because this is exactly what happened to these young believers in Colossae, the Greek city that Paul wrote to, the church there. The young believers at Colossae received the gospel, as we saw in chapter 1 earlier, from a genuine gospel minister that Paul and the other apostles and missionaries sent, Epaphras. And we see that Paul mentions in chapter 1 earlier on, in the verses 3 and following, that they had a true conversion. They had faith in Christ, and the hallmark of that faith in Christ is they had love for all the saints. That was a sign they really did receive Jesus because they had that great love. Not for some of the saints, but all the saints. But here's the issue. Conversion, conversion doesn't mean that you're always, doesn't always mean that your rebellious child comes home. It doesn't always mean that your adulterous spouse repents and there's reconciliation. And it doesn't always mean that the cancer goes away. Good Christian people die of cancer. It happens. It certainly doesn't mean that you'll have all the answers to life's mysteries or that you'll have freedom from struggling and fighting with sin or that you'll have freedom from trying to do all the right things in a world that does all the wrong things. So when a charismatic and charming individual comes by with some smooth talk and says, I know why you're struggling. Because the gospel that you believed was only a beginning. It's not enough. You need, and you can fill in the blank and add whatever you want. If they say you need anything other than Jesus, you know it's heresy. And it's, they're, they're trying to sell you up the river. They're, they're selling a bag of goods where they can't deliver. We're going to see this later on. I'm not going to spend all our time on it this morning. Paul will actually point out some of the things that these false teachers were trying to sell this young church, and we'll deal with them in more detail. But we need to see that he's already dealing with them by showing the positive as he deals with the negative. He's going to deal with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who we have everything in. We have spiritual enlightenment. We have power to live for him. We have everything. So that's the purpose behind this, this whole long, beautiful, uh, what some people saw as a hymn that Paul just adapted. I personally believe Paul wrote it. But either way, it doesn't matter. It's inscripturated now. We're going to see that's the heart of it. Why, why does he go into this great detail about the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ? Because these false teachers had come in and were pulling the people away from their simple faith in the all-powerful, almighty supreme savior and lord of all jesus christ so this is what we're going to see since christ is the supreme and all-sufficient lord of all we must continue in our faith in him not moved from the hope held out in the gospel the point is keep on going in jesus don't take these side paths and we'll see later it's a serious issue it's not just a little rabbit trail if you keep going down side paths you're going to get disconnected from the head and we know what happens to a body when it's disconnected from the head we'll talk about that later all right so this morning we're going to take a look only at the first half of that sentence up there since christ is the supreme and all all sufficient lord of all 
And we're going to unfold that, unpack us. Sorry, Tom, but that's what it is. We're going to unpack it. That's what's going to happen here. Um, so what I'm going to focus on, rather than my normal points that I'm going to do, we're, we're going to notice in this text, I believe it's four or five times, Paul says this, he is, he is, he is, he is. We're going to look at all the he is's as we're going to take a look. at. And so don't worry, some of them will be briefer than others. So we're going to take a look at the first one. He is the image of the invisible God. Now notice something very important here. Paul doesn't say that Jesus was made in the image of God. That's different. You and me, we're made in the image of God. What Paul says, he is the image of God. At this point, your head should go, Poof. The Apostle John says something similar in his gospel, chapter 1, verse 18. Listen, he says, no one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. See, here's the issue. God is spirit, and he can't be seen with spiritual eyes. But there's something even more important the Bible tells us, in the Old Testament especially. It's not just that we can't see God because he's not physical, because he's spirit. It's because we could never see God and live to tell about it. If we saw God as he is in his being, literally, we would disintegrate. Where'd Santo go? Oh. Literally, we could not look at the brilliance and the awesomeness of God's being. There's an old David Bowie song showing my age. There's a star man waiting in the sky. He'd love to get to know you, but he knows he'd blow your mind. <laughs> I always love that lie, right? Because the point is, you know, this, this radical other earthly thing is just so like if he revealed himself, man, you would just be like, well, what's fantasy in that story is absolutely true about God. But the beauty here, here's the good news. God does love to get to know you. And he wants to get to know you. And so that he doesn't blow your mind, in that sense, destroy you. He came in the person of his son, who is the exact image of him. The second person of the Holy Trinity, God the Son. And he has come to reveal to us fully God. The writer to the Hebrew Christians puts it this way. This is the, the really one cross-reference that fits very tightly to this. He says this in chapter 1, verse 3 of Hebrews. The Son, Jesus, that is, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Oh, man. You see why I get excited and why I can say, okay, let's do 20 minutes on this. But I'm not going to. I'm going to go to the next he is. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn over all creation. Now, if the term image of God points out Jesus' relationship to the Father, to deity, so the, the term firstborn over creation refers to Jesus' relationship with creation. It's important to see this. And Paul clearly calls him, what, the firstborn over all creation. That is to say, Jesus has the, place, the first place and the high honor of the firstborn. 
the rightful divine heir of all. It doesn't mean like the heretic back, the ancient heretic around 300 AD or so, Arius tried to say he was the first created being, like he was the firstborn of creation. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying he's the firstborn. In the Old Testament, who's, what was the situation with the firstborn? The firstborn would be the heir of all things. And what, what Paul is saying here is Jesus is the heir of all creation. He's over all creation. How do we know that? The context. It goes on to say that he created everything. He's the creator. He's not the creation. What Paul wants to stress here is that he is the Lord over all creation. Look at verse 16. He goes on to say this. For by him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. Think about this. And I don't know if you've ever done this before, but I want you to think about this. Did you ever see a full moon in all its glory on a beautiful, clear night? And did you ever say to yourself, Jesus made that? Jesus put that there, like, and he did it to reflect the other great light, the real great light, the sun, so that night we would have those romantic walks, you know, and those nights when, I'm sorry, but you're on the Mediterranean, and you see the Mediterranean moon, and you just say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I know it's the same moon when I'm walking in Atlantic City, too, but it just feels more kind of cool but anyway where'd you ever see listen you ever see a stunning sunset but in where we live we see the sunrise and eat there's no sunrise it's the same and the colors there's no painter on earth that could do what god does and realize it wasn't merely some higher oh i thank a higher power you understand what this text is saying it's not just a higher power it's not some supreme being you know who it is? It's Jesus. Jesus did that. The same one who made the Father known to us is the same one who created everything. I always think about that, that, that song. Someone wrote the poem, and, and Phil Kage wrote the music to it, maker of the universe, that he made the tree upon which his body hung. Did you ever think about that? He's the maker who's become redeemer. And Paul will talk about that in a moment. So he is the firstborn over creation. Let's go to the next one. He is before all things, and in all things, in, in him, all things hold together. And what's cool here is Paul isn't even close to finished. And I'm already just ready to praise, praise him and say hallelujah and let's go. But notice what he says here. He says, Jesus is before all things. Before there was a molecule in the entire universe, there was Jesus. See, Arius used to like to say, the heretic, he used to say, there was a time that Jesus was not. But this text says there was no time that Jesus was not. He was there at the beginning. He's before all things. 1 John. Um, we went through that a few months ago. We finished it up. Um, in chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, uh, John, John puts it this way there. He says, That which was from the beginning, which was with the Father. 
And if that's not convincing enough, go to the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 1, where he says this, speaking about the Word who becomes flesh. So we know it's Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. See, you know your Bibles. So when the Jehovah's Witness... No, I'm sorry, okay. Anyway, it says in verse 2, He was with God in the beginning. And John goes on to say, through him all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Man, these are knockout punches, each and every one of them. There's no combinations. Each one in and of itself knocks you out. Right? Not, not only is he before all things. I told you I was just getting started. But in him all things hold together. You know, I got to tell you something. Sometimes in my life, sometimes in my ministry, sometimes in all different areas, I just, I don't know if I can hold it together anymore. I'm being honest. There's a song I know that says, can we keep it hanging from the tower? And I hate listening to that song because I want to say, nope. I just want to say, nope, I can't do it no more. <laughs> Finished. I can't keep it hanging. But here's the cool thing. I don't have to keep it together because Jesus keeps it all together. Physically and spiritually. This whole universe, he keeps it together so that it doesn't disintegrate. He's holding everything. And here's the thing. It's not like he's holding it going, Ugh! he's doing it like, what's for dinner? <laughs> While he's holding it together. All right, I'm going to move to the next one. We're going to pull these all together, so don't think I'm going too quick. The next one is, he is the head of the body, the church. I'm going to quote a commentator to make it simple because he does it nice and succinct. He says this, Christ as the head of the church is its chief and its leader. It is he who guides and governs it. He is emphatic. The meaning being that Christ alone and no other is head of the church. I'll give you just a little application for free. My, I have a, one of my relatives, he, he likes to, we always tease each other, and, and he's an older gentleman, and, and we always call him Al Pacino. And so, like, sometimes he'll put his ring out, like, for me to kiss it. And I said something to him because, you know, his religious background, you'll understand why I said this. I kiss no one's ring other than Jesus's. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Notice what Paul says. It's important to understand this. He is the head. Of the church. Now, in the parallel passage in Ephesians, he deals with Jesus being the head of the church, and he deals more with our part of, of, of how we how the church functions and how we each have a part to play in it, and that Jesus is the head, but we are the body, and then Paul develops the body. But here, Paul develops the head. He wants to, us to understand that Jesus is the supreme head and the only head of the church. In other words, like I mentioned earlier. We want to stay connected to the head. If you get disconnected from the head, you're in trouble, like real trouble. And so we're going to go on to the next one, and we'll pull it all together. I think this is the last one. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Another word that, that's used, the preeminence. I like that one. But supremacy and sufficiency both started with S's, and I'm a preacher or something. But he had the preeminent. He has the preeminence. That's simply to say this: when it's talking about Jesus being the firstborn, the beginning and the firstborn from the dead. Peter O'Brien puts it this way: 
Paul has previously asserted Christ's primacy in creation. He now mentions his primacy in resurrection, both new creation and old. The first place belongs to him. You understand that? He is the Lord of all creation, and he is the Lord over recreation. Because as the resurrected Lord, it's him that gives us resurrection power to die to sin and live unto righteousness. It's important to see. And how is he the firstborn from among the dead? Because he's the first one uh, um, that when he rose from the dead into a new body. Like all the other resurrections, people had to die again. Can you imagine Lazarus is like, Lazarus, come forth. Yeah, yeah, back. But guess what? He got sick and he died. But when Jesus rose from the dead, some of them didn't even recognize him because of his new body. He's the firstborn. He's the pattern now. He's the second Adam. And so all of our resurrections, if we trust in him, we're going to be fitted with bodies like his new body. He's the firstborn. He is so that, so that Paul says, so that in everything, creation and redemption, he might have supremacy. All right, now we're getting closer to understanding what was going on in the church at Colossae. Now this is what you need to see. I'm going to start preaching now. That was just warm up. What we're going to see is this. False teachers were denigrating Jesus by saying that believing in him was only a good start, but that the young believers needed some type of help, I'll show you why in a minute, of angelic or spirit guides to bring them to the fullness of God. Now, why am I saying that? Well, later on, Paul says, don't let anyone disqualify you from the prize by those who worship angels. And so, and, and I won't get into the whole thing, but back then it was a pre-form of Gnosticism where they believed that these Gnostics were teaching that, yeah, Jesus was good to start off with, but then you need these other beings, these aeons or spirit guides or angels to help really connect you to God. So you'll have the fullness of God. So you had a beginning with God, with Jesus, but now you need to have these spirit guides. And of course, who can connect you to the spirit guides? These teachers. Very convenient. Yeah, I always think of these, you know, you can have noni juice is the best kind of juice. It'll give you all kinds of health. Well, oh, where can I get it? Can I get it? No, you can only get it through me. Oh, so it fills your pocket. But anyway, that's pretty much what these teachers were like. You have to come to us if you want the secret. And so now that's kind of what was going on here. And what we need to see is that Paul is saying this. Give me a break. Jesus created all the angels, good and bad. Not only were they created through him and by him, but they were created for him. These angels were created for Jesus. Their very existence was to give him glory and to worship him. If you look again at verse 16, where, where Paul talks about whether thrones or powers, rulers or authorities. Where have you heard that language before? Ephesians 6, where it says our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against what? Thrones powers, rulers, authorities, where? In the heavenly realms. So even fallen angels who were originally created to glorify Jesus still serve his purposes whether they like it or not. Did you know Jesus is Lord over demons? And there's nothing, they got nothing on him? You remember when he came? You remember when he walked up to a guy that one time that was demon-possessed and the demon came out and said, Jesus, Son of God, have you come to what? Punish us before the appointed time? And you know what Jesus said? Shut up. 
That's what he said. He said, be quiet. Come out of him. <laughs> Nothing. And of course, the person was back in their right mind. Freed. Because if the sun sets you free, free indeed you are. You remember Job? Well, you might remember the story of Job. The devil was reporting to God. In case you didn't know that, he's got a chain. He has to report. And, and God was the one that said, have you considered my servant Job? And so the devil said, well, I'll have him cursing you to your face. He's, you know, he only worships you because you take care of him and you, you put a hedge around him. And so God said, go ahead, I'll take the hedge down. But I'll tell you one thing, you cannot kill him. In other words, what, what Jesus says to all the demons of hell, this far and no further, because he is the Lord. Martin Luther put it this way, and some people get all nervous, but this is what he meant. He said, he may be the devil, but he's God's devil. He can only do what God allows him to do. I love that. E.F. Harrison sums this point up nicely. This is the main point. In the light of Christ's preeminence, the help of good angels need not to be sought. You don't need the help of good angels. And the hurt of evil angels need not to be feared. So you don't have to fear demons, and you don't have to go try to incant or find the help of angels. Because you got who? You have the Lord of angels. Now there's three implications. I'm going to close with this. It's the punch of the passage. And they're heavy. The first implication is this. Jesus is enough. He's enough. Behold, your God. That's what Paul's doing in this passage. And here's what I'd like to, to ask you. Does it look like he needs any help? No. Does it look like he needs any help to bring you, your, I was going to say, you're sorry, person, to God? No, he does not. He's the rule. He is supreme. He is preeminent in all things. And not only that, he sustains all things. If he could sustain the universe, what do you think he's gonna, he could do with your life? You ain't nothing but a thing. And if this applies to angelic beings, how much more to humans? Listen, if humans can't help you bring you to God, I mean, if, if, if angels can't bring you to God, how much less humans? Now, why am I saying that? I'm on metal. Because I want to tell you something about Mary. Mary was a godly woman, a great example of someone of faith, but she was a sinner like you and me, and she desperately needed a Savior. Elijah, great example of how to pray. Amen? Amen. But he was a sinner, and he needed a Savior. Yeah. We can go down the line. Peter, Paul, I don't care who else your name. The Bible tells us they were dependent on Jesus. That means we don't need to go to any saint. We don't need to go to any angel. We have the right connection with God. You know, sometimes it's not what you know, it's who you know. Well, if you know Jesus, you go right to the throne. And he says, excuse me, get out the way, get out the way, I'm bringing my child in here. You're going to have to wait. You get right up, right on a lap. So Jesus is enough, more than enough for all your spiritual needs. Second thing, see, second big takeaway. You thought it was going to be long, didn't you? We exist for Jesus. He doesn't exist for us. Amen. 
Ooh. Didn't think that one was coming, did you? I want to point out a truth from the text that has impacted me greatly over the years, and it should impact me more. And it was a great reminder as I was preparing for this um, sermon. Um, Look at verse 16. He says something that most of us would say, yeah, we know that's true. It says that all things were created by him. All right, we got that. But you notice the next one? All things were created what? For him. That shook me to the core when I first learned that. Why? Because the the implications of this are literally life-altering. If you take nothing else from this sermon this morning, please take this. Take it home, meditate on it, feast on it, and let it change your life accordingly. Because listen, Jesus doesn't exist to make your life carefree and easy and struggle-free. You need to understand that, Christian. You exist to bring him honor, glory, praise. You with me? And so I, I get all, when I sing, majesty, dominion, and I, I feel there's something in my soul saying, I was made for this. I was made to praise him. I was made to show his glory. I was made to say, look how excellent he is. It ain't me. It's not you. It's not New City Fellowship. Whatever else you want to fill in the blank, it's all about Jesus. God's Son will be glorified someday, and every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, whether they want to or not, Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. The real question is, what side do you want to be on? You want to have your knees kicked out and forced to say it? Or do you want to be, amen to that? Or maybe you won't. If you trust in Jesus, you do it willingly. Because, hey, you've been practicing your whole life. You with me? I read this illustration from Tim Keller's life. Uh, He's a prominent church planner in the PCA. He's been a pastor for many years. Um, But this this is something I never heard about him. He said that a Sunday school teacher, this one woman, changed his life with this one illustration. I want to read this to you. The teacher said, let's assume the distance between the earth and the sun which is 92 million miles, was reduced to the thickness of this sheet of paper. He held the the paper. If that is the case, then the distance between the earth and the nearest star would be a stack of paper 70 feet high. And the diameter of the galaxy would be a stack of papers 310 miles high. But then Keller's teacher added this. The galaxy is just a speck of dust in the universe, yet Jesus holds the universe together by the word of his power. But here's the powerful part. Finally, the teacher asked her students this question. Now, is this the kind of person you ask in your life to become your assistant? I think this question needs to be asked after reading what we just read in Colossians. Is this the person you ask to be your personal assistant? Or is this someone that you align your life with and make your life available to glorify him, whatever he asks of you? It's an important question. God never promised us a perfect family, a struggle-free financial life, complete wholeness in this life. Listen, where we get mixed up is we forget and we don't realize what God has promised us in heaven and what God's promised us on earth. And sometimes we get the two mixed up. And we get all upset that we're not in heaven yet. 
Sometimes we need to be reminded. Oh, you want to be carefree? You want perfect peace? You want perfect health? Well, there's a place for that. <laughs> and unfortunately, it's not this side of glory. Now, there, we're gonna, as we continue through Colossians, we have wonderful, a lot of wonderful, great things in Christ here and now, but let's not get that mixed up. He didn't, God didn't send Jesus to be your personal assistant, but rather to bring you back to your rightful place at his side, serving him, worshiping him, giving him glory, and, and, and joining in on the fruits of his victory. A place at his table, the great marriage feast. That's going to be a great place to be. I can't wait to say pass the school and jail because it's going to be there. It's not just going to be all the American stuff. There's going to be all nations and all tongues and all tribes. So you weren't only created for him, you were re recreated for him. That means you were raised from the spiritual dead so you could bring him glory. Those are the two big applications. Jesus is enough. There's nowhere else we need to go to supplement um, that. And second of all, Jesus doesn't exist to be our personal assistant, but rather we exist to bring him glory and promote his kingdom purposes and agenda. But there's one last application. Therefore, since all this is true, we must continue in our faith in him. That's what verses 21 and 23 talk about. They talk about you must continue in that same faith in the gospel that you started in. And for that, come back next week. That's a sermon in and of itself. Let's pray. Father, how we thank you for Jesus, who is preeminent over all things. We thank you that he is the head of the church that you have brought us in. Through his blood and resurrection, you have included us. Father, we thank you that he is preeminent Eminent in redemption, the only way to be forgiven, the only way to find new life, to live for him. And Father, we do pray that by your grace, you would fill us with your spirit. You would enable us to continue believing until the end, until the Son of Man comes, that he would find us believing. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.